Hey folks, this is episode 10 of the podcast series. We've had a busy week posting all sorts of articles and podcasts and things. I do hope that I can keep up their productivity, so why don't you keep an eye on the website and see what new things I'm, I'm putting up. And also, it's probably easier just to keep track of the Facebook page uh, and then you know get a sense of the things that are coming out any, in any case. Uh, today is episode 10 with uh, some of the women behind Mujeres de Maiz. It's a Los Angeles collective based around healing and expression and arts. Uh, they do a lot of really good work. This Saturday, or actually Sunday, March 18th, they'll be doing an event along with Justice for My Sister. Let me get the flyer here. Through the Mamas La Noche in collaboration with Justice for My Sister, uh, Justice for My Sister Collective at Mariachi Plaza. That's 1831 East First Street in Boyle Heights from 2 to 9. Uh, and that's in Los Angeles. For so for those that those folks that aren't in Los Angeles, I do apologize. But for those that are, you should probably go, and you'll probably love it. And they, t- they talk more about the event during the podcast as well. And we also uh, wrote up something. Myself and Daniela wrote up something about a week ago uh, for the website, and I'll link to that. Yeah, I'll link to that conversation. Okay, uh, we had a great conversation at Eastside Cafe in El Serrano. And um, I think, you know, uh, every every interview is different, I'll say that. And this one uh, was with three of us, and so it was three women that already sort of knew each other. So we had they had, they had a great rhythm that I just sort of like tapped into every once in a while to ask a question or clarify. So it was really fun to be a part of that. And uh, I think um, it was an experience. It was draining because it's like... Um, they, they come at it with a lot of intention. They, when they speak, it's, it's with a lot of intention and a lot of just depth. And so for me, as someone interviewing them, it was just a process to like get you know get the words that they were saying and think about where we were going to move with the conversation and also just balance the, the voices of three people and try to keep that you know constantly moving in and out. So it was a great interview for me. It was a little bit of a challenge and a challenge that I very much enjoyed. And uh, I just wanted to, again, thank the women for participating. There's none of them who knew who I was, and I certainly think they took a chance. Uh, and I, I think it was a good chance they would agree. Or I guess not a chance, but now I'm getting way too rambly. But I appreciate them not having known me, willing to talk to me, and contribute some time for a great episode. All right, so um, why don't we go around and say our names? So, And I'm going to forget your names very often because I tend to do that, so I apologize ahead of time. Okay. I'll do my best. I should have worn name tags for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just usually make up people's names, but I need to stop Switch them around. You look like a... Yeah, I yeah, have, yeah. like, an old one in my wallet. Oh, yeah. My name is Felicia Montes. I'm part of Mujeres de Maíz for 17 years. When we started, I'm one of the co-founders in 1997. My name is Edie Zanda, and I'm part of the space here, okay. uh, Isa Cafe, and also part of Mujeres de Maiz. Um, organizing with them for the last two years, and uh, part of their zine for the last six. And I'm Daniela Ortiz Padilla, and I have recently um, become a part of Mujeres de Maiz mm-hmm. this past year in terms of organizing and programming. We'll talk about each one of those things, but maybe we should close the door. She, your voices are fairly soft, which, is, which isn't a bad thing, but it means that the door. Yeah. Be heard. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot quieter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the door. It's a big thoroughfare. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a freeway. 
So <laughs> let's start by geography. So where where are we exactly? We are in El Sereno. Okay. It's uh, some consider Northeast LA. Uh, it's Los Angeles bordering South Pasadena and Alhambra. And it, it, it seems like El Sereno is one of like the last little enclaves of the Latino community that isn't getting gentrified at all. And I don't know if that's just like accessibility or... But it's pretty close to the city, but people have managed to not dive into it too much. Ah, uh, that's not true. No? Anymore. Anymore? Yeah. I mean, you're right in the sense of, like, we, we can look at Boyle Heights and, like, it's very present. Or even Highland Park over here. Or Highland Park, of course. Um, but because I'm a resident here and I grew up here, I can see the changes Certainly. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And then uh, the corridor of Alhambra Avenue, which is more industrial, which is like what's in right now, the warehouses and lofts is, uh, is being gentrified for yeah. sure. Like specific examples can be given, but <laughs> we won't go into that. No, <laughs> Something personal happened there. Oh, That's okay. right. All right, fair enough. Um, and tell me about this space, this location. Uh, this space is the Eastside Cafe, and it's been around for 11 years. It's a grassroots autonomous uh, space run by collectives, and we don't accept uh, grants. We're inspired by the Zapatista movement, uh, so uh, just very uh, geared towards providing a space for the community to do things uh, to help and uplift each other, but always... Um, you know, with our own, um, with our own corazón, our own, um, like agenda, if there was one, uh, of just being of the people for the people and not so much having to do with the neighborhood council and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So it's not safe spaces, protected spaces. And then I see a lot of, uh, art along the walls here. Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of this has been donated to us. Uh, there's various groups that, uh, have worked out of here, um, either met here or come out of this space. And so, um, you know, the, we are all human, a lot of immigration, um, again, the Zapatista, uh, a lot of the colectivos go down, uh, from this space to delegaciones mm-hmm. and, um, and that was also part of this space back in the day. So she might have a little more input. Um, I think overall it was a you know an idea to have an autonomous space. Um, a lot of the work um, and some of the co-founders of the space had gone uh, gone a lot to Mexico and Chiapas mm-hmm. and learned from the Zapatistas. And of course, when you go down there, they usually say, "Go do what you can here and don't come back." Well, not don't come back, but don't <laughs> don't uh, don't come here just to support or help. Go do things in your community. Yeah. So the you know the co-founders, um, both you know musicians and PhDs doing or students now, doctorates, or different people, community organizers um, and family-oriented people came in back to, to do that in a lot of different ways. And, um, and here is the Eastside Cafe, which has a lot of different events all the time and is always open to have um, Mujeres and Maiz have events here or other organizations and collectives um, you know, with, with support organizations back and forth in a lot of different ways so there's always workshops and like yoga and um, a lot of good things happening here for health and mind body and soul and I think I used to go to Chiapas back in 2003 and Mm -hmm. 2004 and I think what I came away from that too was just how they were how they were creating autonomous communities and also expanding like challenging people to expand their political imagination 
right? To not within we're within the limits of like what's offered or within the legal paradigm or or what have you. That bus is really loud too. Jeez. All right, I get distracted by all that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I remember, and it's like it's not that it's inspiring. It just it just pushes you to think and pushes you to like want to do more, you know. Well, we had um, every Tuesday like a, a meeting here for a while to organize around um, La Otra Campaña yeah. um, in 2006 around that time and um, also organizing the the time when uh, La Otra Campaña and Subcomandante Marcos and others came to Tijuana and every state or location, a lot of pueblos and communities in, in Mexico to, um, to listen to what yeah. was going on. So it was really important for a lot because the space is a lot of definitely founded by like Chicanismo and a lot of Chicano and Chicana communities as well as other um, organizations and circles and culturas that are in solidarity or working in the LA area. Um, it was important to go there and speak about our reality, Los yeah. del Otro Lado, you know, right. so that was really interesting too. Um, so for a while this group, and we ended up calling ourselves Banda Martes, was just like every Tuesday meeting to talk about mm. that about all these different organizations and circles and sometimes political ideologies and people who may not be always at the same table. We're mm-hmm. at the same table, even here in Eastside Cafe, and then definitely um, in La Otra Campaña, like coming together and saying, well, we're all abajo de la izquierda. We might, to the bottom and to the left, we might end up not, you might, our, how we do that is different. Mm-hmm. Maybe our strategies and how we organize are different and a lot of the political ideologies. And there's sometimes a history of not working together or issues, but we should come together to understand that we're all on some type of the same area or page. So that was really important. I think that is a lot for Mujeres de Maíz and a lot of the organizations and circles that we work with and also Eastside Cafe because, you know, it's like punk gigs are in here and then like a trio the next day and it's like, you know, very different things Mm. happen right after we each other. We even had somebody do their quinceanera here. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Has the city uh, sort of threatened this space at all? Or have they left it alone? Or what's your relationship with... No no relation. Okay. Well, we like it like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't... Um, like I mentioned before, we don't try to get involved in local politics and they don't get involved with us. Good. Okay. And... Um, trying to figure out how to bring you in. <laughs> then you know, I guess I can speak about how um, the space has really provided um, most recently for me um, like a really, like whenever I come into Eastside Cafe, I can feel like the history of Eastside Cafe and mm. I think that uh, we recently had um, we recently had an event here about community accountability and healthy relationships about two weeks ago and um, there was a moment where we really used the space for theater of the oppressed mm-hmm. and I think it was really important to be in this space and do it in this space because we were able to really connect with each other's humanity and I think that that was something that was really important and that the space really provided and guided that discussion that we had that day. And you mentioned you you were uh, new to the space relatively or? Um, to the space but more so to Mujeres de Maíz yeah. um, in terms of organizing with Mujeres de Maíz and programming. So I guess for you, what drew you in? Um, so I, I was living in Washington, D.C. in 2011, um, and a lot of my work was focused in on violence in Mexico, mm-hmm. specifically um, with, with focus on um, semi-automatic weapons, a policy that was reinstated by the Obama administration. So 
I did a lot of political... And you mean sales of assimilatic weapons? Or sales to, yeah. that were directly going back into Mexico. Mexico yeah. um, and so my focus is violence against women in Mexico and mm-hmm. violence against women in the U.S. and here in Los Angeles, like, specifically. So um, I guess one of the ways that I was really drawn into the community was because in 2011, um, I was just getting into contact with um, Kimberly from Justice for My Sister, mm-hmm. and um, my cousin went missing in Mexico mm-hmm. and was murdered. And so from that point on, um, that really drew me into the community, and I needed community to get through that. To heal um, that. Yeah. To heal that, and to find healing for myself, and to find healing for my family. And so my cousin, and so finding justice for my cousin is still like, it's still in limbo today. So it's, it's nothing has been solved. Um, and so I think that after that happened, um, I was really broken, and, um, and that affected all aspects of who I was. Sure. And, um, and so that, that is why I became more inclined to be involved in the community because I needed community for my own healing and to offer, to offer that to other people in my community as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think the way Kimberly talks about it, the way she now talks about her project is she describes it as a process of healing. Right. And that wasn't always the case initially because it was quite a challenge for her to get into those details. Yeah, so definitely. So this space really provides... Um, really provides uh, a space for healing for the community. I feel like when I leave here, um, I can see like a, some kind of newfound, you know, I don't know, manifestation of happiness or wholeness. And so I feel like the center, like Eastside Cafe, really provides that for the community and for myself. And um, if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. But mm-hmm. is, is um, so is your cousin's death a point of advocacy for you? Or is that something you're... I mean, it's something that I, I haven't really shared and I don't necessarily share, but it's something that is my driving force mm-hmm. that, um, that I think about every day and that um, it definitely um, has inclined, like I'm more inclined to, to now like serve my community because of it. Um, and so it's definitely like something that is my driving force and my mechanism. Um, and it's something that affects, and it's something that has affected almost every community, which yeah. is violence. Um, and yeah. so we see it every day and every minute of the day. And so, um, so really, that's my that's that's why Eastside Cafe, like I feel like, it provides that space because we were able to talk about, um, you know, we were able to openly discuss violence and how mm-hmm. we as the community can be tools to change that and to advocate against that. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Appreciate that. I think overall, it's also. Speaking about alternatives, yeah. right? So, Eastside Cafe is alternative, alternative space, and so is Mujeres de Maíz, and so is the work that all of us individually do and collectively do. It's a, a it's something different than the mainstream, and it's a um, both mainstream methods of healing, mainstream methods of accountability or non-accountability. You know, it's an alternative for everything. Mm-hmm. And just walking in like a space, um, like Isai Cafe, or as Mujeres de Maíz doesn't have a space, but we're kind of a mobile movement <clears throat> that connects with a lot of different spaces and mindsets and people. Um, as soon as you walk into Mujeres de Maíz, you also, or whatever type of event, you feel different. And you know there's something different in terms of energy and the people in the community and that kind of solidarity and spiritarity and sisterdarity <laughs> and all of that. So I think um, it's been a space for a lot of people to, to be able to share um, their experiences, mainly creatively, um, mm-hmm. because we're artist-oriented collective. Um, 
but also whether it's personal history or testimonies or her story to to opinions about politics or events or things like that and um, it's been mainly through a, a creative outlet um, and a space for people to do that but it's really manifested into a lot of other things in terms mm. of what people are interested in learning about or advocating for so what started as more of like a live art show and performance once uh, once a year and the zine which was more art and poetry related became um, became something that you know as gardening workshops or herbs for healing workshops to all uh, writing workshops all these different things because of the different women that are involved so let's talk a little more about Mujeres and Luis and just ground it a little more for me so I can get my head around it. When did it start? What was the inspiration initially? Um, it started in 1997. Is that one of the audio? Sorry, something's buzzing. I don't know. I think it's just in my headphones. Yeah, it's fine. It might be in the refrigerator. No, that's, that's, a, that's a hum. And then this is like a buzz. It's like a fly is in my ear. This is like I hear things differently than you all hear because of the yeah, words. Right. So, <laughs> so my eyes start going crazy, and I'm just like, "What's going on?" <laughs> you can have a mystical experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all making extra sounds. Right? <laughs> um, the group started in 1997, okay. and um, a lot of us at that time we're learning about zapatismo we're also students um within ethnic studies or chicana chicano studies departments also women's studies and just three years arts. after the zapatista uprising exactly yeah. um and so student activists but saying that not usually not on campus so people were students and activists but most of our work was all done in the community so people were organizers union organizers doing okay. a lot of different things were there certain schools that people were drawing from um they were cal state la and ucla okay um, so a lot of us started doing, uh, going to study groups about Zapatismo aside from college and doing our thing and also organizing in different ways. And so we came together, um, a group of us, a few different women, Chicana women, start, started to share our poetry. Mm -hmm. And just on our own, not to, share, not to start a group or anything like that. And we started to share and just the support and um, transformation and healing that happened from the women that shared their poetry, but also from the women that were listening to it, um, was really transformative mm -hmm. for a lot of the women. And so we knew we wanted to share a little bit more, but actually got invited by somebody to do something like at a college. And so we did that, it was supposed to be one time, and um, it kept, we kept getting invited, so the group mm -hmm. became in La Quech, which is um, different. So that was an original name? Yes. Okay. Well, this is the group that founded Mujeres and Mice. Okay. Right. So in La Quech is um, now seven Chicana um, identified women uh, who are drummers, singers, um, and poets. Um, the women are, do a lot of other things also, but within the group, that's what we share usually. And we started just with poetry because we became involved um, more in indigenous ceremonies. Mm -hmm. um, we began to incorporate that, the sound of the drum, um, whether it was the way with the Aztec drum, or began to also use the um, powwow style drum. So that group, because we were starting and saw the transformation, we said, well, this is just a few of us. What, could, what would happen if um, we invited others? So we made a flyer and called every single person or woman that we knew that was created in some way, that did flocorico or that shared poetry or we knew um, maybe was writing, but never shared their writing, mm -hmm. um, and asked them to be a part of our first event. Um, 
It's like it all, 19 up, minutes or Is it uploaded or is it just sitting It's in not a, uploaded. Is it VHS tape? Is it? No, we do have it digital. Okay. digital. <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's just, I don't think it's on YouTube though or, or that kind of thing uploaded yet. Well, I'm also just thinking about things to post along with the podcast that I can Yeah, I can try and make it accessible to you. And there's also another one that was done on, in 2009, just about the 2009 event hmm. um, that one of the members did. That's a member of In La Quechua. That's online. It's two part. Where's that online? Um, you can just Google. I can send you the links, but okay. it's uh, <laughs> it's. I think it's just titled like Mujeres in Mice 2009. Okay, it's a really creative, super creative title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just for that event, I think. So, um, yeah, so we just invited a lot of different people, and every year since then, decided to create an event and zines. So, so you have one event a year and one zine a year. Yes. That, okay. That was for like, the first do... decade or okay. so. First decade. <laughs> or maybe fifteen. And then. Years. So, and people started creating other things. And every time we come together, it's an open collective. So right. Is there any criteria? Or... No, self-identified women. Okay. Women of color. Women, yeah. And wanting to organize or create. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's open. At this time with social media, we just kind of put it out there. Who's interested? Come, I have, usually try and have a public meeting and people come or don't come. <laughs> and, <laughs> and people to come involved in, in some different ways. A lot of the people who are involved are involved in a lot of different other things. So sometimes they're, they do the events, but they don't come to like weekly meetings or something. Okay. A lot of the people. That's a lot, um, of, that's a lot of commitment. Yeah. And I think they're more for check-in meetings too, the, yeah. week, the, the weekly ones. But overall, I guess the idea is that um, we've been doing different events for 17 years now. Um, it started with the live art show every year and the zine publication. And... After the first, I guess, 13 or 14 years, it became a lot of other things, just the workshops, mm-hmm. the other types of programming, the healing circles or the women's uh, full moon circles and other types of things, depending on what people want. So people can come and say, like, let's yeah. do this. And, and propose whatever and they, yeah. they want to, then we make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. That was a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I think I went around. <laughs> It's <laughs> the tricky thing about interviewing people is you got to process things quickly and then figure out what you want to ask next. I'll give you a second. <laughs> Very generous of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so I can't remember your name. But I think I was going to do this. Edis. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> name tag. We'll call you Diana from now on. Yeah, but that's uh, right. So I know. Right? I like that. <laughs> what What brought you into the community? What did you? For Mujeres de Maíz, yeah, um, I came in through the zine. I'm okay. a writer and poet, and I saw a call out probably on social media. Well, let me take it back. Take it, let's take Actually, it back as far as we need to. Let's take it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, on a spiritual level, sure. um, I dreamt about the Mujeres de Maíz mm. when I was in Santa Cruz in 1999. So they were already around. Were you uh, a student there? I was a student there. UC Santa Cruz, presumably. Yes. I did not graduate for the record. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter yeah, either way. But, but, no, sure. I mean, it's part of my story. Oh, okay, I was okay. also following the Zapatistas, trying to step away from the system, and mm. came back to Los Angeles. Um, I dreamt about the women of the corn. That's the way the name came in English in my dream, and it's like in a journal. And, um, mm. and it, I kind of get emotional about it because it's like, something that I was seeking, mm. you know, that I wasn't to be found in Santa Cruz because sure. the culture of there's totally different. It's very white, very wealthy. Yes. Yeah. And um, and so I come here to Los Angeles. I was trying to get down to the Zapatistas um, 
but then um, years passed. I became a mother, uh, you know, life happens. And then through social media, I came across the, the zine call out or, or maybe a flyer. Because back then, was I like... Somehow, I and then it was like, oh, Mujeres de Maíz, and the name was like, like, (laughs) oh, oh, wow, this is familiar somehow, and I didn't make the connection with that dream until years later, but um, uh, I did send my poetry in, and and it got into one of the zines, and and just to have the feeling of um, coming to a group of of other women that identify like I did and, and like mm. the feeling of home and um, solidarity like I was saying and and that and I continued so every year it was like okay you know let's do the next zine you know get into into it that way and and then just recently within the last two years um, I just felt to, to want to connect a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and then I came to the meeting that Faye was speaking at, like it was put out and I'm like, all right, let me show up. And, and it was beautiful to see the behind the scenes. There's like so much work that goes on because now the, the Mujeres de Maiz series is not just one day. Right. It's like a month and a half um, of things that are happening. And, uh, and so to see all of the work and heart that goes into making that happen was a beautiful thing to be a part of. And so then I was hooked after that. <laughs> And so your intervention at this point is, is still through the zine, or are you more... Uh, well, this year I helped to organize um, the poetry uh, event, the big poetry event that we do. So it was a poetry procession, uh, mm-hmm. along with uh, Rebecca Gonzalez and Citlali Osuna. And we did, uh, out in East L.A., started in El Pino, and we made seven stops along First Street uh-huh. uh, and ended at Mariachi Plaza. Okay. And we had um, Sherry Moraga come out oh, and wow. share with us. And um, so at the seven stops, what, describe it a little more. What were people doing at these? Seven we stops? we met at El Pino. Um, we had about two poets at each stop, all women poets, um, sharing word. Or actually, we had a musician as well. Uh, Bree came out and did some acoustic songs for us. And started at El Pino, went down to Cinco Puntos. Um, and, and when we started, though, it really was with the feeling of this year's theme was um, ofrendas of the flesh. And we incorporated it into words, walks, and ofrendas. So this is our ofrenda. We're walking through our city, and we're, we're using our words as uh, prayers. Like, what do we, wanna, what do we want to see for, for our community? Um, we had candles available, mm. and we had people use Sharpies to write their ofrenda, their intentions on them and carry them with them, um, with us, as we made the different stops. This was in the evening, I guess? Yeah, it was a Friday evening, uh, a lot of traffic, five o'clock. <laughs> right, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> uh, we had a big group come, you know, come down from El Pino, we went to the Cinco Puntos, we went to Evergreen Cemetery, mm. and, the, and it was really nice because um, one of the poets that read at Evergreen gave a little bit of history, like linking, you know, uh, the communities and like the spaces that we were standing in um, and then we went down to the Buddhist temple mm. we went to the metro station on Soto and first and to the park on Chicago and first I believe and then down to Corazon del Pueblo uh, Cecilia Rodriguez uh, is a maestra that came down from Oakland as well and she did a little um, prayer ceremony with us and 
uh, had a couple of members from the community do prayer ties uh, for our community there, and then we ended at Mariachi Plaza. And it was a beautiful evening. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, one of the things, like Fess said, like you get women that come together and, and are putting in ideas of like what feeds them and, and you can see it yeah. come alive and you can feel the energy when yeah. you're in a in an event like that so yeah hmm. and did you grow up in Los Angeles <clears throat> I did well? okay yeah I grew up here in a said I know okay oh yeah you said before mm -hmm. right and um, what's your intervention or participation looking like these days then you know uh, let's see <clears throat> so Trying to remember what I did so far. <laughs> um, with Maris. Huh? With Maris Maris? Yeah. The accountability. Last year, the. Oh, the tomemos. Yeah, yeah. La noche. Um, yeah. So um, last year in 2013, um, for the first time, Justice for My Sister and Mujeres de Maiz collaborated mm -hmm. um, for Retomemos La Noche, which is our Take Back the Night. Mm -hmm. and um, and one of another one's coming up too soon, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's coming up on May 18th, okay. Sunday, from two to nine p.m. So um, this was the first year that we collaborated together, and as part of that, we had um, it was a day-long event, and we had poetry from some of the mujeres de maíz. Um, we had a march, and we created our own. We created like flyers. We were we walked down to I believe it was the corner of Hollenbach Park. For some reason, I'm forgetting. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, so we walked, we had a march, we had a community march together, which I feel like was really great and it was empowering. Um, we had interventions from speakers. We had a woman who spoke about um, st like street harassment, um, and I'm not sure what her name is now, but I remember that specific workshop. We also had um, service providers from the community, so we had East LA Women's Center, um, we had... Um, different service providers in the area in case anyone needed um, support and in case anyone needed to reach out to these service providers and we also um, we were doing like art like we, we created t-shirts so as part of take back the night something that college campuses do is right. you, you kind of do art on a t-shirt and that's your like proclamation or whatever it can be it could be a prayer it can it can mean whatever you want it to mean mm -hmm. and so we were also that day we also had t-shirts up we were putting them up um, and the location was mariachi plaza so it was a really beautiful place to have all these t-shirts and art um, and so uh, we also had Cambalache play, we had musical performances, um, and so it was also a really healing and beautiful night, and I think it came for, full circle for me, to, and that is kind of how I, I, I stepped into, like, Mujeres de Maíz from that like from that event forward um, I could see that our collaboration together was really powerful and all of the mujeres that were there and volunteers that were there was it was a really moving um, day for all of us and um, at the end of the night we are we allow like or we don't allow but participants are able to take a pledge against violence against women um, and these pledges are are their own accountability to the community mm -hmm. and their own or their own dedication to what they are going to provide to themselves um, and so this is that was the first year, which was 2013, um, and this is the second year that we're doing it, um, and it's going to be similar. And, that and again with, with um, Kimberly? Again with Justice for My Sister, yep. yeah. Um, and so um, this is going to be the second year, and um, we're gonna also going to have, we also screened the documentary, Justice for My Sister. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's a huge part of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Where, where yeah. are they going to screen it? Um, 
So we screen it at Mariachi Plaza. Outdoors. Um, at the end of oh, the nice. night, that's like the final, one of the final um, kind of, that's the final part of the agenda is to screen the film itself mm-hmm. um, and to share this screening with the public. And the reason why I think this is important is because um, it's our own definition of Take Back the Night. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And, and it's our Take Back the Night for our community, which mm-hmm. I feel like is really important. And I feel like in the past when I had been to Take Back the Nights, like in college or something, right. like I never mm-hmm. felt connected or I never understood, like, what it, like we're just writing stuff on a T-shirt, right. you know? It tends to be very Anglo. It's, commu- it's, it's very, space. yeah, it's, it's very Anglo-centric. And so this is why I feel like it's really important and it's also really healing because it's everyone who's participating are, are women from the community mm-hmm. and they're really offering like their their words and they're offering their poetry and their music. Um, and so it, it's great to redefine what Take Back the Night means for for our community. And Faye, what, what, do you, what is your art these days? What do you um, well, I'm a poet and performer. Um, I also do kind of installation work mm. and silkscreen. Um, what kind of silkscreens? Um, the silkscreens, well, that I do clothing also with my partner. But uh, So there's clothing that's kind of art on things that people can wear. But there's also like political posters mm. ever so often. Um, I do a lot of different arts. So a lot of times what I found more recently is that around Mahatiz and Maiz time, um, my art is my organizing. Mm-hmm. And organizing as an art and creating spaces as an art because a lot of times I create spaces for other people to create um, or to share their creations yeah. and I don't necessarily do that so I sometimes I take a, a step back a lot of times and it goes in um, not necessarily I don't want to say up and down but it goes in in um, flows I guess in terms of what I am actually creating space. your own representation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. your own expressions so. yeah so um, I also do hip-hop and kind of poetry, and um, I self-published a book and a, like a demo CD, which I'm still trying to put out, um, like another one that specifically do that. I do like keynote speaking a lot. Do you also weld? No. no. <laughs> gonna... Weld communities. <laughs> put together communities. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of us do a lot of different things. Yeah, and so like it's kind of sometimes funny when like people have like an intro. And I have, like, it's only a one-line intro, but people are, duh, 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 and the next thing, and I'm like, okay, this is embarrassing. <laughs> well, but you ask for an intro, and that's kind of, like, what I do, but anyway. <laughs> but a lot of us, all, the people that I roll with, <laughs> or, or I'm around, have, like, the and, 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 yeah, you know? Sure. And it's women, women of color, so they're always going to have, like, the five different things that they do. Yeah. If you want to know an identification or introduction, well here it is kind of thing <laughs> right um but um yeah so a lot of the times my creation and my art is um creating those spaces and those um times or that energy and that space um and I've come into that a lot more where um I understood that a lot more in the last since like 2009-11 because uh, I got an MFA in public practice and just understanding kind of that I guess I always knew, but I uh, sometimes it would it would be like, well, I'm always creating spaces. I would kind of have figure out um, personally working through that, like, well, yeah. I need to create two, and just kind of when is the time, and then just energetically also wanting to create and um, share or just create for myself or be able to express myself, even if it was just for me. Um, but I've understood that in, in another way to really really realize, and I don't think a lot of people see it as that. 
What in general, mean? organizing your community circles that like art, your organizing can be your art. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, maybe I don't really think a lot of. People I don't think do. people were overall. Maybe you. <laughs> maybe <laughs> us. Well, I, I think people, especially if you're a union, I was a union organizer for a long time. And I think people get like really formulaic with it, and they forget that it's a, you're you're creating something, and there's something really mm-hmm. poetic and imaginary about that. Yeah. You know, when you're having interaction with the worker, that's not just a conversation. That's you're connecting. You're you know, right. helping each other figure out what to do next. Yeah, definitely. But we, you know, we talk about, like, how many people have you signed up or, you know, how many homes have you visited, like, whatever. Yeah. So we lose it's... that sensitivity. You know. Yeah, definitely. So I, yeah, I'm creating in different ways. And uh, the season is kind of going up and down or kind of towards an end. I mm-hmm. hope to, in the summer, like, finish the, the CD. The CD. Creating, yeah. What CD are you creating? Tell us about the CD. Um... Well, it has uh, the spoken word pieces, which I've done, and I, I self-published the book in all, so I would like to have the book. Where's I the, do have the book. Where's the book? Like where? Distributed. Oh, just on, on my websites. What's your website? Feliciamontes.com okay. or urbanchickurbanxic.com. Okay. So I'll link to that stuff too. Okay. Yeah. So, you, have, you have a lot of links. I'm going to keep track of all that. <laughs> F card. Jeez. Okay, all right, that'll help out. Yeah, it has all of that. You should just have one website. This is. Well, it's because I do have my website that has okay. all those different things, but they're also <laughs> entities of their own without me, sure. kind of. So. Sure. Different flavors, yeah. Yeah, figuring out how to do the card is its own little <laughs> <laughs> it's own art form. <laughs> but we didn't. Uh, all right, cool. So the Sorry. book. Yeah. <clears throat> it was just after like years of sharing my um, my poetry within a group. We were all whenever we shared poetry with Enlakech, it was not just one person on stage. It was one with like three to five women behind them, right, you're literally having and, their back, yeah. um, sharing the poetry or singing. So a lot of the times, um, I began to share on my own a lot more. And as an organizer and always working in collectives, mm-hmm. um, that was actually hard. Not necessarily because I needed to do it by myself, but because I was very tied to collective work mm-hmm. and not like, um, I don't think it was a personal thing. It was like a political thing. Like, wait, what does this mean that I'm out on my own? That's pretty egotistical. Like, blah, 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 blah. and I had to like work yeah. through that. Like it's mm-hmm. about both of us. It's, it's not, part of our heritage too, to work. Yeah. Like, uh, and I'm a movement on. baby. I was grown, grown, I grew up in the movement. Mm. My parents are involved in the Chicano Chicano movement. And so, yeah, I had to work through some of that <laughs> to be able to realize that it wasn't just like all about ego and narcissism, you know, that, you know, just to be able to say that it's important to, all, you know, I tell everybody else, share your story, but then I didn't want to share mine necessarily on my own mm-hmm. and thought that, what would that mean if I'm not working with the collective, la la la. Mm-hmm. So I do do that and I share, I put together the book um, just pretty much a compilation of the work I had done over a decade or so. Mm. And that's called Tenfe. I just did it totally on my own um, and self-publish, self-distribute. Um, but the idea with the CD and the connection to it is to have the written um, book that people or students can read or whoever can read. And then I also, since I also do spoken word and flowetry, is to be able to record the work and have a spoken word um, tracks that you can listen to. And then I do flowetry and hip-hop to a lot of those same words or palabras and poems, yep. so with beats. Um, so then you can listen to it to a, with, in hip-hop style. And then I work with people. I have like one video, and I was working a little bit on my own. But um, other to be able to, when the CD's finished, to also have other videos that mm-hmm. are basically music videos. 
So it's all the same actual words that you're looking at, but in different formats from right. the text to different um, representations. The spoken words, uh, spoken word, then to beats, and then the music video style. So I really and want to do like lesson plans and a whole little yeah. curriculum like around that to be able to go from like the page to yeah. the stage or the music video and kind of connect that with young people. And, and a lot of it's right like Spanglish or uh, yep. um, talking about identity and culture and going through things. So. Hmm. Um, that would be the personal work when, when that comes around. <laughs> but Edie's also just self-published a book. I don't what know do you if you Edie's? know. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I like, yeah. There's my manager. I love her. <laughs> I always feel. I like the plugs uh, on the podcast. It's totally legitimate. I did just self-publish my book. Uh, it's called Code Switch, Fires from Mi Corazón. It's also Spanglish. Um, it's also an NPR series, too. Code Switch yeah. is an NPR series. Yeah. Um, it's like the one decent thing that's already in around people of color that they do. Right. Mm. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I took the, the word uh, from Ansaldúa, mm -hmm. which we all know and love, and um, it's, it is just uh, poetry about identity, about politics. Like it, It's divided into four um, chambers of the heart, chapters of the heart. And it's like rage, uh, love, revolution, evolution. But I, you know, I also picture it like the medicine wheel, like yeah. cycles that we go through. So there's all this like symbolism in there. But really, it was just like uh, a coming together of stuff that I've written over the years. And I was just ready. Like I'm in my 30s, and I'm ready to share my story. Like Fess said, I also went through. Well, who am I to to share this? Or like, what does it mean to to be like? you know, Edie's up on stage sharing something. And, and then I just came to the realization that, um, you know, we, we help each other when we share our yeah, stories. Mm -hmm. And like, what good is it for me to have my journals collecting dust, you know, in my room when maybe, I know I've been inspired by others' mm -hmm. um, words or music, so I kind of felt like I wanted to give back into that cycle. And Mm -hmm. um, I did decide to self-publish because I like the DIY punk spirit and, um, <laughs> and it was a big learning process, but it was also fun. And now I feel I created Los Writers Underground Press okay. and I feel like I want to use whatever I've learned there to help other mujeres because um, there's something that happened to like a dynamic um, where I, I felt that um, there are companies out there like Lulu and whatnot that will help you self-publish, but then there's like other people that, out there that have done it, men that have done it, that weren't as willing to be like, hey, ladies, this is what you do. Or to be supportive. Yeah, and, so huh. um, that happened for me a little bit, and so I, I'm like, okay, now I get to do it for, for other mujeres. And when you say self-publish, what, what does that mean specifically? Um, it means... If anybody that's listening is curious as to what that might look like. Um, so gathering, I gathered all my work together, um, how to put it down into a format to make it available to go to print. Okay. Uh, finding a printer that was going to run the, the book, um, doing the cover. I, had, I did everything like local family friends. So my cousin designed the cover for me. He's a graphic artist talented artists mm. um so like getting your cover together getting your content together the layout what it looks like having that ready in a cd pdf format get it to a printer researching printers like who's going to give you a good rate mm. <laughs> um and then 
getting it out there and so you have it only physical or is it digital as well it's only physical okay. i'm not doing ebook um okay. as much as we're all into the digital world i i really feel that there's something to be said about holding a book certainly and then um I, to I, add to that though so yeah. i i came across um an elder um a couple months back and we were talking about books and he said honey you know pick up a book and mm -hmm. flip through the pages and smell it yeah. you're you're like intaking and it was like this beautiful image of us like really breathing in the wisdom and like the energy that was put into making something like that so i kind of have that image with me or it was like a gift that was given to me from him to be like yes i'm gonna keep it mm -hmm. you know in print i want bookstores to be around and yeah. um but I guess, I guess for folks that are outside of Los Angeles, how would they get a hold of it if they were... Um, it's online. I also have a website, okay. edisdeanda.com. And I'll you, link can, to that too. you can order it online. Um, cool. okay. And yeah. So I mean, I'm a historian. I love books. I love big, dusty, heavy, nasty books. <laughs> and, but I think that one advantage of the e-distribution is it allows you to be more accessible yeah. to a wider audience. You know? That's, you know, but I certainly empathize with the idea that we need books and we need spaces to consume those books mm -hmm. that are comfortable, that are healthier for us. Yeah. I'm on SoundCloud. I do have a couple of things that okay. are out there. Like if people just want to hear something or connect to it in that way, but but I do want people to pick up yeah. the book. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. Yeah, yeah we put, uh, you know, Edis came connected with Mujeres Amais with our yearly publications. Yeah. So that kind of process that she went through and it's on like a whole nother level with like a book and yeah, a yeah, long yeah. book and it's it but we put together a, a publication every year. Um, there's that, actually a committee Is that the zine? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah the, the zine that zine. that we put together um, on a yearly basis. So there's a circle, mainly like one to four people. Um, Margaret Alarcon specifically is a publications coordinator who puts that together and finds a printer and we've gone through various printers but it is more <laughs> zine format like yeah. um, you know it's not, not hard copy yeah. it's uh, soft and more zine focused before we used to Xerox copy it the first few years you know it was like literally like the more punk do-it-yourself do zines and now it's full color um, published um, through that and we sell them we used to, you know, give them away or a dollar, like any other yeah, zine yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But now they're ten dollars <laughs> and full color. Where can um, folks get that? At is my com. On the website, okay. Yeah, and also two of the most recent ones are on urban urbanxic.com. But urban, um, that process is definitely like editing, and they get to see like all the submissions. We've had submissions from Saudi Arabia. Wow. To you know. Northeast LA. <laughs> so so people, all across the US. And if people and want to submit, they would submit through the website as well? Yes. Okay. So there's already a um, call for submissions for, right the, for, for the next year. When does that for call? For 2015. Um, it's called, it's com, and I think it, they're asking for like a December okay. um, due date. Usually they extend mm -hmm. it until December or a few months before, so they have time to come together, look at all the submissions, um, categorize them, connect them, which ones with the art you know, mm -hmm. on their own, and um, look for things, connect with the, with the actual writers or artists and see really what it's about, figure out the cover page, all the things you know, to do that. And, and um, that's pretty, we didn't do it, it's supposed to be every year, but there was a little time frame in, I don't know, early 2000s, or I think that there isn't. So we don't have 17 of them. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so there was a little break but we've had done pretty consistently consistently probably for the last decade now mm -hmm. or no yeah <laughs> 
So in, in terms of just in general, the sort of level of activity, um, if people are curious and like, oh, I want to go to an event that they'll put out. When, when, so I heard a month and a half is the concentration of activity. Is that accurate or? Yeah, um, it's when, usually when is, when March. International Women's Day on March right. 8th is our when we have our so big live week. art show or like the kickoff of the months and um, Women's Her Story Month for the month of March. But we have extended, we've been very specific and we've always been seasonal, but the last year and then especially this year we've really talked about like a season, so mm-hmm. like March through May. Mm-hmm. And then we're also, for the last three and a half years we've done um, full moon circles every year, mm. or every month, I'm sorry, for the last three and a half years. So we have been looking to like expand that to be able to do stuff throughout the year and again all the women who are involved are doing stuff every month maybe not under mujeres and maiz but Mm -hmm. with that same spirit and heart so there's a lot of things always happening (laughs) but they might not be on the mujeres and maiz specific calendar right but really connected in some way through more with solidarity or spirit but um now we're looking specifically to do not only the full moon circles every month for the, um, consistently, but also other programming. Um, so looking into that a little bit more and just kind of extending it and also working with other groups. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has come, like for uh, one of the things that we're working on kind of out of the season is kind of um, a series for like healing and herbal herbalism. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to connect with also a local garden that's doing that. And, help them in terms of promotion and really getting out there because we do pretty good promo and have like good um, following and connections across the nation. So much so that like in the MySpace days and even now with um, Facebook, people have been inspired and kind of started their own collectives mm-hmm. because of like similar or because they found why did the MySpace and really wanted to do something similar, maybe not under the same name. Um, and now we have two people who are talking about one in San Diego specifically who wants to start like a Mujeres de Maíz like mm-hmm. with the name and be what does that mean and how does that work and we um, we're trying to figure that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is pretty cool yeah, I mean no, we've always connected in that way and there's all these, these spirit or sister organizations across or that want to start or that we've always been in contact with and really connected with but now there's like and, you know, one that literally wants to be, one or two that literally want to be, like, through the name and stuff. Yeah. And stay connected with you all, it sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And learn from us, but also see, like, what is it that makes it. So, and what's really interesting is that we haven't necessarily, we don't have, like, bylaws necessarily. Because right. right. we're not a non-profit. You're not. Um, we've never, it's similar to Eastside Cafe in that we've, it's very we've post- never. It's very postmodern. You're everything but nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we're not a non-profit, although... A few of the women are planning to do that in the to next couple months or year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was, that a conten- was that a contentious conversation, I imagine? Or? No, I think more than anything, it's just that it's because everybody does so much work yeah. that it's like to sit down and figure it out. Yeah. It's been like, you know, somebody's doing a documentary and somebody's getting their MFA. And <laughs> there is just a lot of stuff to be able to sit down and, and make it happen or yeah. make more programming happen. Um, or people are doing their own individual creative work or healing and then also doing collective creative work and healing or paid work. And then this is like the work. So we, a lot of people want to uh, work through Mujeres and Maíz also and be able to make that a job if possible. You hmm. know, make that not only their calling and spiritual and healing work, but their something full-time. that they can be able to sustain themselves. So that's where maybe a nonprofit or for nonprofit for the for, for profit for the nonprofit may come in. 
Because presumably you all have ways that you have to pay your bills, right? That are separate from your creative work. Yeah. Probably she sometimes pays, but not like all the time. <laughs> like later <laughs> I'm going to go share at college, but that doesn't, yeah. you know, that's like not always happening. Yeah. yeah. And um, you really, really have to do that whole like um, self-promotion. That's why I'm always like. Yeah. <laughs> you do have to, to And then how yeah. that feels for me still to do that on a. 100% level that you have to. It's uncomfortable. It's still, you promote yeah. me, I promote you. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I mean, I, mean, my, I, mean I do the same thing with my website. It's like kind of awkwardly I have to talk about it a lot. And mm-hmm. I have to email random people mm-hmm. I really don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, Hi. you have no idea who I am. What can I talk to you about <laughs> this thing? And I don't know, yeah. It's such a weird process. But you do, I mean, you have to hustle and you have to try to get this stuff out. I mean, I think... It's important work, you know, yeah, so it's, yeah, we yeah. have to keep, you know, remembering that it's not, not us, about us. And you, when I go somewhere, I come with Mujeres and Maiz, I come with Urban Chick, I come with like, yeah. a lot of different, it's not me, it's like... Oh, cool, thanks. All of us in me. Because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, um, a lot of my work is based around indigenous folks and campesinos in Guatemala. And I think what, what I love about interviewing those communities is that usually at first they're very reticent to say anything. They're like, why would you even want to talk to me? Like, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and just, just the process of interviewing sort of instills an idea that like, their voice matters mm-hmm. and their perspective matters, you know? And I think that in itself is, is fundamentally why the work that you're doing as well is important, yeah. you know? Yeah, more recently we had a young women's conference. I think our transition from local to global going kind mm-hmm. of to Mexico and to other places and with social media or internet world wide web kind of becoming international or getting mm-hmm. things from Saudi Arabia and all that and then going back to really local is what we've been kind of figuring out um, and also our work is like a lot of times we're in cultural centers amazing spaces like Eastside Cafe or or gallery spaces that are white boxes or theater spaces that are black boxes that are all these beautiful and amazing cultural centers that have been amazing alternatives and resistant and affirming spaces. But also it's not necessarily that little girl that's walking across right now to the store is going to come in here necessarily. And so we that's the poetry procession and going out into Mm. the public and to these public spaces and doing poetry versus like in a space, which is important too, Mm -hmm. but also going back out. And so um, a, wa- a couple of years that we've done like events at Mariachi Plaza about, I think in 2009, we made sure to do not only our live art show where you had to pay to get in because we had Susana Baca and we had to, you know, be able to make that show happen and um, funding wise, but also we had a, before that at 2 p.m. something at, at uh, Mariachi Plaza that was fully for the public and community and the abuelas and the abuelos and the little kids. Yeah. And, so we were able to do both. Um, well, just like having Kimberly's film outside too. Yeah, you know, definitely. A big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's like like Edis mentioned, um, like and like you mentioned, like there's something really important about our us valuing like our own voice, and I think that I'm really coming to terms with that mm-hmm. too, and like being able to like to go out there in the community and be like my voice, you know, like it's like to hear your own voice. I think is really important too, um, and that's why I think like with our event coming up on May 18th it's it's something that's really powerful and it can really change people who who attend change change their perspectives i mean um, and so we're in, in having people, we're going to have an open mic also. So um, that's going to be really important. That's something that we really wanted to, we really want mujeres in the community to utilize, to get, really hear your own voices and to be able to go out there and to know that your voice matters, your humanity matters, and, and that we all support that. You know, we all support you. Um, and so 
Because I think as individuals, when, when you say my voice matters, you also say our voice matters. Right. And it encourages mm-hmm. other folks to participate mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah, and it definitely encourages like a spirit of healing. And um, and when I, a few weeks ago at Corazón del Pueblo, um, Edis was, Edis shared like a, her poet, her, one of her like poetry uh, pieces. And it really was like power, it was just so, it was so incredibly powerful to hear that like that specific poem that you shared and from that mo- moment on I was I was like really connected to the idea of like sharing voice um, and coming from like coming from a place where I encountered a lot of violence it's really it's difficult to break down it's really mm. difficult to break down those walls um, and to really allow your voice to be heard and not just be heard but like know that your voice you know you deserve your voice to be out there in the community um, and so do you have any side projects that you want to talk about? Um, I think one thing that I just started working on was um, I, something that I have always been really, um, really focused on is children's books. Mm. Um, and so recently I just started writing again. It's something that I had stopped doing. In college I was like really like about writing children's books because I feel like those were really formative. Those were really formative years and those were years that I didn't have access to literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had access to this literature, like, that I had no connection to, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I didn't know who these, like, weird people in colonial, <laughs> you know, states were doing. Who are these Bernstein um, bears? Why yeah. is this guy wearing a <laughs> um, So. Why are there three in these stories? Yeah. So, um, so it's definitely, so that's something that I've been focusing in on is my writing. And I think that being, being a part of Mujeres de Maíz has really, like, nurtured that um, and has really, like, allowed me to explore that further. Um, and not just, in, you know, in writing pieces for children and for adolescents that they'll feel connected to that I wish I would have had been mm-hmm. able had to have access to. Um, because, again, like that connection to like the Bernstein Bears or connection to like Anglo perspectives. Dr. Seuss. I mean, uh, yeah. These things were something that never moved me. And so um, my, my thing is that creating work for, for children and creating work for adolescents can really move them. And their perspectives are so like... They're, they're, those are gears that they're, they're building who they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, What's where we start the self-esteem building? You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of, the, a lot of the, the book that I'm focusing in on right now is um, it's about a woman warrior, but mm-hmm. she's a woman warrior and she is five years old. So, <laughs> nice. um, so I think it's important because I didn't really know, uh, like my identity is still, like identifying myself is still really hard, but I think as a little like mujer walking, you know, I always wanted to have like this superhero or this warrior woman. And so that's kind of the idea of having like a superhero, like warrior woman and um, breaking through all of like these you know, like breaking through like really simple aspects of our lives, like um, like going to school every day, you know, and like being able to to hear our voice. And I think that's something that really um, that I had trouble with, like growing up, was like being able to say something in class, you know, mm-hmm. being able to think like my my opinion mattered, you know, like I and I really believing that my educate like that I was as educated as other students were, sure. um, and and you know, like I I knew that I was because I was like in what they had like in LAUSD was like the gar- like gated, yeah. so that means like a gate ex- program gated program yeah. so that means you like excelled but it was so difficult for me to really voice like that I had the power like that I knew um and so I think that's that's the pe- that's what I'm working on right now and and I think that it's important because Mujeres de Maiz has really provided like a space for me yeah. to do that in and to really manifest to, to manifest this piece that I'm working on are you gonna illustrate them too yourself I'm trying to yeah so I'm trying to like learn how, how that <laughs> process works um yeah. 
And so I, I know some artists, and I think that illustrating it will be something that I want to do myself yeah. as well. So it's kind of the do-it-yourself. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds fun. We're here to do a DIY tour. Yeah. 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 And that was really a part, uh, integral part of, um, and the Justice for My Sister Collective members of the Mujer Con Poder conference that we had, and it was a first women's conference that we put together, but um, also very specifically about um, young women. Mm. So a lot of what she's speaking about, about, and we did it at a high school, and we worked with them to make that happen, and not a cultural center or somewhere else. That hopefully a lot of the young people would come and talk about things that normally a Mujeres in Maíz event would have, but at the school, mm-hmm. and make sure that we really like put, you know they put a lot of posters up in the streets and all these things on the telephone poles or on people's um, doors and things like that. So literally, grandmothers and abuelas and neighbors and people just came to the space. Um, to learn about whether it was healthy, um, you know, we had vegan food for free, mm. and then um, there was um, the workshop that Justice for My Sister did that was really important, and that maybe Daniela can speak about, and then um, Edie's did a creative writing workshop where, you know, like, five-year-olds were sharing their poems, oh, and wow. oh. so, I mean, it was amazing that, that there was nice. a moon time or menstrual cycles workshop where being yeah. able to talk about it in a healthy, positive way for these young women, and all ages, and was focused on young women, but it was open to all, so that was really, it was the first time doing that, and it was another thing, like, we're going to do public poetry in the streets, we're going to do this in the school, and be back to, like, yeah, we're all about alternative spaces, but we gotta go back to them because they might not come to this space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being or find ac- out about it. Being accessible. Or ever go inside of it. Yeah. <laughs> you just walk by it. You know what I mean? Or who knows? Hopefully they do come in. Yeah. Usually they do here. A lot of times they're like, what is this? <laughs> you know? Do you have coffee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little bit of a misnomer, right? <laughs> it's not actually coffee. Someday we'll bring it picks it, so. up your spirit and intellect in a different way. Yeah, let's talk about uh, your connection with Justice for My Sister. How did that? And I, I interviewed Kimberly on an earlier podcast. Oh, okay. A while ago, um, she was in Minnesota, freezing. So yeah, I'm I'm one of the core members of Justice for My Sister Collective, and so I guess what that means is we're doing a whole lot of different things. We're starting. We we're just um, just everyone knows Justice for My Sister www.justiceformysister.com will be up by Friday, um, and you'll be able to have access to our volunteer. Like if you want to become a volunteer, whatever that means for you, we have different options. We also have. Um, we're, we're also a collective, so everything that we do is donation-based. Mm-hmm. Um, so there will also be like access to donation like services there. Um, and so we're really using our, the new website as a platform for us to really um, connect to a wider audience and like a, like a larger community at hand and to really like get the movement building in terms of um, access to like workshops that we're doing. And a lot of the workshops that we're doing are focused in on young women. Like mm-hmm. I recently... At the Mujer Con Poder conference, the workshop is definitely focused on young women and specifically dating and dating violence um, and what it looks like and how to know if you're in a situation that isn't in, like mm. that is inherently violent. And so, um, so my connection with Justice for My Sister came um, in 2011, at the end of 2011, 2012, um, and that's when I reached out to um, Kimberly and I was like, "Hey, I need to be involved in this." Um, Did you I, see a screening or? Um, I heard you about just it. Into it. I was in Antigua Coffee House. 
Um, oh, I'm, I'm a park, yeah. yeah, uh, Cypress Park. Cypress Park. Um, there's two. There's two different locations. Oh, okay. So yeah. So um, I saw a flyer in in. I had just returned back from DC, and um, I saw a flyer. Actually, I had just returned from Mexico for mm-hmm. my cousin's funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at that moment that I saw the flyer and I was like, justice for my sister, you know, like, what is this about, <laughs> you know? But I liked it, like, immediately. I was like, whatever this means, like, I need justice <laughs> too. So, um, uh, um, so I reached, you identified with that message? I identified with the message and um, so I, I wrote her in a message, like, on Facebook, you know, <laughs> um, which is just so, you know, it, like, our times are just so different now. So I was just like, hey, who, like, this is who I am. I want to be involved. Um, and she was like, okay, I'm going to invite you to a screening. This is where I'm going to have a screening and so I went to the screening and I was like really moved by the film Um, it's hard not to be it's a pretty incredible film and uh, yeah and at that point um, you know I felt connected to the film on so many levels like not finding not being able to find justice or answers for my cousin especially because my cousin was um, he was a gang affiliated in Mexico Mm -hmm. so automatically like your like your life or your meaning of life or you know like your humanity no longer like no one wants to hear anymore you know like if you were murdered per se or you know you were just found dead um so like a lot of what the police did in mexico was like oh well you know he was affiliated with these people and he was also at a party so that just that's just what happens you know when you're involved with wrong people so it's breaking down like so from that on point on like it's really victim blaming it's mm-hmm. victim shaming and it's Certainly. it's it's something that i think that women encounter as well um when they go missing or um when anything like this happens in our community that that's the response from officials sometimes so um so, so I reached out to Kimberly and I, I let her know that I was interested and then at that point she informed me that she was building a collective here and that the collective would consist of um, training, like we would do domestic violence training. So we would reach out to the community. We would, we would go into spaces that were pro-immigrant, um, wherever people had access, wherever we could find spaces, that's where we were going to go and we were going to do trainings. And a lot of the trainings that we do are just um, healthy relationships trainings. And a lot of those I led at the Boyle Heights Youth, Youth Center. Um, and so we, um, I basically go through different, we used, um, we used like testimonies from the community. Mm-hmm. We use um, theater of the oppressed. Um, and I think all of these tools um, are really important. And we're reaching like different, we're reaching different um, communities now. And we have a lot of collective members who, you know, are all from all over Los Angeles and specifically some that are, like, just immigrated here. Mm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so this is my connection with Justice for My Sister has been, I'm, I coordinate a lot of the events. Um, I, I'm able to speak at a lot of the events and I'm able to really, um, to do trainings on healthy relationships. And these healthy relationships are really like tools to, to go back into the community so that you can continue like doing organizing work because mm-hmm. I feel like um, sometimes we encounter a lot of, we have encountered a lot of violence in our entire life. And sure. so as part of that, like using these tools and using the tools of like really reflecting um, inwardly and really being able to see each other's humanity every day is something that um, that's, that I'm focused in on and something that is achievable. Um, and it's just as simple as like, for me, something that I'm I'm really dedicated to is like, is just talking to people on the street, like in my neighborhood, um, and really asking them who they are. You know, um, like yesterday there was a man. So it, um, there was a man. I have a few dumpsters on the side of my apartment, and um, something that we he he was like digging through like the trash for like cans or whatever because it was going to be trash collecting day so like it's a good time to come get like the cans and everything Mm. um and so um 
I had like a brief interaction with him because um, he, I asked him like if he needed anything, and he was like, "I just want water." And coincidentally, because I had this event at Eastside Cafe two weeks ago, I brought like a few gallons of water, and I had an extra gallon. And so I went to my car and I went to go get it. Um, but what was interesting to me about our interaction is that. Um, like I gave him the water and I was like here like you know I'm gonna leave the water here for you but he also wasn't able to um, to like look at me like in the eyes and I think it's because for so many years um, he was also not looked at he also isn't seen so um, and I think it's small interactions like these that are really important to share with each other Um, and so um, it really moved me yesterday like being able to connect with this person even though like and my connection was also like I wanted him to see me right like um, so I think it was really important for me to see how, like, his own perspective, like, to see that every day, like, no one looks at him in the yeah. eyes. And and I was so desperately, you know, like, I really wanted that connection from him. And not only because I was giving him the water, but because I wanted him to feel, like, that I saw his humanity, yeah. you know? Yeah. Sorry, I went off on a, like, side note. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful side note. <laughs> That's nice. So, um, so yeah, so I think Justice for My Sister, you know, like we're, um, the collective is really open right now too, so whoever, it's um, it's co-ed, so um, it's not right. just Mujeres, right. we um, we really look to all um, people in the community, um, women identified um, people in the community, um, and so it's about gender equity, and so, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, um, and you know, how you talk about humanity, it's so, you know, I research massacres, and I, so I read about almost every day about how the Guatemalan government treated people as disposable, mm-hmm. right? And, and I still can't get my head around that, you know, mm-hmm. like that they can do that to folks, these indigenous people, because mm-hmm. they perceived them to be communist or whatever excuse they gave. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, they saw them as disposable, and so they did dump them in places. They did massacre and slaughter them, mm-hmm. you know, every day. Yeah. Probably because they felt that they didn't have to be accountable to anybody. Yeah. 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 It's a big part of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Like... Who's gonna care? No one did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then the stories matter. That's what yeah. I do it too. I mean, it's, yeah, that's you know, why it, it's important. It's healing for me as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that I saw in Guatemala when I was out there over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we're well past our hour. Uh, is there anything y'all want to leave people behind with? So I'll have, there's a whole list of websites I have to collect from you all that I'll include in the post eventually, and then a SoundCloud link and other things. But um, I want to leave people with something. Uh, Share your stories, create alternatives. I think for folks that are listening, yeah, think about submitting to the website. So it sends, so the submission ends until December? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, every March the zine comes out. So, um, if they go to mujeresmais.com, you can submit your art or poetry. Any self-identified woman, any age, high school to anciana can share work. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) All right. That's it. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Have a good day.